welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast with your host and CEO of Align Ventures, Arnold Olshaneski. Join us as we speak with real estate pros about their experiences and learn the fundamentals of passive real estate investing. Together, we will unlock the secrets of achieving financial freedom by discussing proven strategies and building passive income through investing in real estate. Here's your host, Arnold Olshaneski. Welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arnold Olshansky, and joining me today is Garrett Sutton. Garrett is an attorney, one of Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad advisors and a best-selling author. Garrett has written over 10 books and has sold over a million copies of these books to guide entrepreneurs and property investors. He has been honored as a Lifetime Achievement member by America's top 100 attorneys. In today's episode, we will discuss asset protection, what you need to know to ensure your personal assets are protected from liabilities that can happen on your property or other corporate entities. Garrett, welcome to the show. Thanks, Arnold. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm very excited about our chat today. Uh, and I want to kick it off with um, more of a personal question. I listened to some of your previous interviews, and I know you mentioned that your father was a judge in Oakland. And I was just curious, how did that impact your career to become an attorney and just guide your overall path? Well, uh, you know, at the dinner table, I always heard about the law and uh, the cases. He wouldn't tell me the names or anything. It was all confidential, but the situations. And one of the situations I heard frequently was that someone who was a sole proprietor lost everything, where if they'd taken the simple step to be a corporation, they didn't have LLCs back then, but if they'd taken that simple step, they could have been protected. So that was something I just kind of learned growing up. Uh, my dad was an attorney and a judge, and I kind of thought, well, I might as well go that route too. And now my son just passed both the uh, Wyoming and Nevada bar exams. And so he's coming into the practice and taking it over. So uh, I guess that's three generations of lawyers. The legacy continues. <laughs> I love yep. it. And well, one thing that I caught on right away is just you mentioning simple step. And, and I think from my experience, when I speak with investors, it seems like asset protection, not always, but in many cases, is the last thing on people's mind. You know, they're thinking about acquisitions, property management, asset management. So I want to take a moment and from your perspective and your standpoint, why is asset protection in real estate so important? And are there any stories that you can share where people didn't take those simple steps and the outcome wasn't great? It is very simple. Asset protection, I, I think that a lot of the people who charge high dollars in this area have this mystique built up that it's expensive and confusing. And Arnold, it really isn't. It's a matter of using state law to protect yourself. Why is asset protection important? We live in a very litigious society. People are suing each other all the time. And you need to take those steps right at the start to protect yourself. So you asked a, about a story involving someone and not who didn't follow the asset protection steps I recommended. I've told this one before. I was in San Francisco uh, giving a talk on asset protection. And this lady comes up to me and says, you know, I just bought a duplex and I'd like to put it into an LLC. And I go, great. It's in California. The franchise tax in California is $800 per year. And she goes, oh, oh my God, I, I can't afford that. And I go, well, it's your choice. I mean, you, you have to look at this as insurance. This is just another policy of insurance. 
but she decided against setting up the LLC for her duplex. I'm giving another talk in San Francisco a year later, and she comes up to me and says, you know, I'd like to set up that LLC now. I was just sued by my tenant. Well, at that point, it's too late. Uh, you've got to set the entity up right at the start uh, because every day that it's in your individual name is a day in which the tenant can sue you. And let's say you put the uh, property in an LLC a year later, the tenant who rented from you for that year prior can go after you personally because you weren't protected by an LLC. Yeah, you know, and my take on it from what I see is a lot of times people overlook some of these simple steps because when they're just starting out, they might not have a lot of assets to protect, right? They might be renting and, but then as time goes on and eventually those assets do build up, in order to go back and try to change everything back around is an absolute nightmare. Well, it's not that hard though. Let's, let's talk about that. So you've held title to the duplex in your individual name, right? You form the LLC. We do a grant deed from your name into the name of the LLC. You've got to tell the insurance company that title's in the name of the LLC. You want the insurance policy to be in the name of the LLC. Or if they won't allow that or they charge a higher premium, you leave the insurance in your name and list the LLC as an additional insured. That's a way to skin the cat. But those are the main steps. You want the tenant to write a check out for rent to the LLC, not you personally. But these are not difficult steps. And you have to compare it with possibly losing all of your personal assets. So, yeah, there's some work to do with the LLC, but the consequence of having someone sue you personally and lose all your personal assets, and they can renew that judgment every seven years. So you may be poor when you get sued, but you know they can renew that judgment until you get rich. So I think the easiest thing to do is just set up that LLC. Absolutely, do it from day one. And right. speaking of LLCs, right, Nevada, Wyoming, and Delaware. I know those are the three states that you usually recommend to people. What did those states have that others in the country do not? Well, it's interesting. During the Revolutionary War, uh, we fought not only the English Crown, but the British East India Company, which is the, was the world's largest corporation. When the founders were meeting to draft the laws, James Madison wanted a corporate law for the entire country. And all the states were fed up with fighting the British East India Company. And they said, no, we want our individual law for each state. And that's the way it's developed in this country. Most countries have one corporate law for the whole country. But in the United States, we have 50 different state corporate laws due to the American Revolution. So where does that lead us? Well, we have states that compete against each other to have the best laws. And that is Nevada, Wyoming, and Delaware. And the reason we like them is because they have a very strong asset protection law with the charging order, and they will protect the single member LLC. Some states don't protect the single member LLC. Colorado, if you get sued and they want to get at your single member LLC, Kansas as well, they can barge through and get at all of the assets inside the LLC. So we don't want that to happen, which is why we like Nevada, Wyoming, and Delaware. Oh, I see. So in Colorado, they could actually pierce that veil. 
Yeah, Colorado has a law that does not favor the single member, the one owner LLC. I know out of out of those three states, most people end up choosing Wyoming. Why is that? What does it have over Delaware and Nevada? Well, they all have great corporate asset, I mean, LLC asset protection laws. They're equal on that score. Uh, Wyoming is only $62 a year. Nevada and Delaware are $350 a year. And Wyoming doesn't list your name on the state website. Uh, So you have a measure of privacy there. As well, in Delaware, there are all sorts of law firms that deal with corporations and LLCs. And, you know, there are plenty of attorneys there willing to sue a Delaware entity. Uh, Wyoming's a little more remote. We like it for that purpose, too. You, of course, you can find an attorney there, but it's just not as robust as Delaware. Sure. It, it seems like Delaware is the one that, what would you say, is the most popular one that most people would think of? Yeah, uh, because they have a very well-developed corporate law. They have a separate court for corporate matters. I mean, Delaware, if you're a Fortune 500 company, is a great location for you. But if you're a mom and pop investing in real estate, Wyoming is the better choice, in my opinion. It makes sense, right? Because Delaware is so popular, there's probably a whole bunch of attorneys on the other end of the spectrum that know how to sue in that state and try to pierce the veil, I would assume. That's accurate, Arnold. There are so many corporate lawyers in Delaware. It's it's amazing that such a small state has so many attorneys. I never had that perspective, right? The, just what you said about Wyoming being remote and not having all those specialists on the other side probably makes a, makes a big difference when, when it comes down to a court case. Right. There's one thing I hope we can get to in this uh, discussion is this new law, the Corporate Transparency Act, which affects every single LLC and corporation starting January 1st of 2024. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. I haven't heard about it. No one's heard about it. And it's quite a uh, a broad law. Uh, Basically, Congress uh, wanted to fight money laundering. And uh, I don't know about you, but I just haven't run into too many cases of money laundering. But that was the excuse. And so the Treasury Department now is requiring everyone who owns an LLC uh, or corporation or limited partnership to file a form uh, with the Treasury Department indicating the 25% owners of the entity, the people with management control, and each of those people have to list their uh, business or personal address. They have to send in a copy of their driver's license or passport. And so this is quite a burden on every single LLC and corporation owner in the country. There are a few exceptions. Just if you're big, if you are part, you know, register with the SEC, you don't have to do this, but everybody else has to do this. Now, if you don't do it, there is a a fine of $10,000 and two years in jail. And so, you know, pretty serious consequences. Two years. Two years in jail. Wow. uh, For not doing it. And you can you can bet that the Treasury Department is going to make some examples out of people. You know, you're they're going to find some patriot up in Idaho who decides not to file uh, because he hates the government. And they're going to make an example of this guy and send him to prison. uh, So everybody else knows what the consequences are. But you're right, Arnold. No one is talking about this. 
we are gearing up to prepare these documents, these filings for all our clients. Now, if you have an entity now, you have to file the CTA report between January 1st and December 31st of 2024. All right. So you have a year to file it. If you set up an entity February 1st of 2024, you have 14 days to uh, prepare and submit that doc. Once you form that entity in 2024, you've got this immediate requirement to send that information to the U.S. Treasury. Within two weeks? Within two weeks. Okay. Now, what happens? Well, sometimes people don't know who the owners are within two weeks. You know, you may be raising money. You may say, well, I don't know if Joe's going to get 25%. Maybe he's only going to get 15%. You don't know that after two weeks. We don't know what will happen in that case. So that's to be determined. Yep. As well, substantial control. They haven't really defined that. Does that mean you get to make decisions? What about a bank that has a loan? And if you don't follow certain things, they can come in and exert substantial control. Do you have to list the bank? We don't know. Oh, absolutely. When they start listing broad language like that, it's usually yeah. not good. It's open right. to interpretation. I think that gives us a, a good reason to possibly do a follow-up episode when we do find out how some of those yeah. things are going to unfold. So let me recap. If you do it before January 1st, 2024, right? then you have till December of 2024? Is you that have accurate? a full year. You have a to, full year. To get that form in. Okay. Now, if you do it in the beginning of the new year, now you have 14 days. 14 days after January 1st, 2024, forever. Okay. You've got to file this form within 14 days. Okay. Now, the penalty is $10,000 and up to two years in jail, which you mentioned. So it's pretty, pretty aggressive. And in terms of filing, you need to identify, essentially, just to recap, everybody that's uh, at least a 25% owner in that LLC and anybody that has substantial control or is managing the property. Right. Is that accurate? And is, is there anything else that I'm missing? Well, let's say that you uh, have 20% control and you buy out someone and now you have 30%. You have to file an, an amended report to the U.S. Treasury Department. So it's ongoing. If you have someone who drops out as president, uh, obviously, president has substantial control and a new person comes in as president. You've got to amend that with the U.S. Treasury Department. I could see how this is going to affect a lot of people uh, that invest in real estate syndications, because in, in, in those type of scenarios, right, there's a pool of investors coming together, uh, you know, raising capital to acquire a bigger property. And like you said, sometimes in, in that stage of the process, people don't exactly know what what the ownerships are and and so on. So I could see how, how this could be very important for people involved in real estate syndications, especially the, the people managing it. What about the passive investors, the LPs? We have an LP that is invested in a 100 unit apartment building, all right? And we have an LLC. The LLC has two guys in it, 50% uh, each. They will have to file. Uh, if there's a change in that LLC management, we'll have to file an update. On the LP side, let's say we have two guys that own 50% and then we have 10 guys at 5%. Uh, 
So the, we're going to have to file the form on the two guys that have 25% of the LP, but the 5% owners, the 10 5% owners under the current law, we don't have to file anything on. Now, let's say that you want your 5% ownership interest to be protected and not have that in your individual name, but have that through an LLC. You want to set up a Wyoming LLC to hold your 5% interest in the limited partnership. That Wyoming LLC will have to file under the CTA. So it just, it extends everywhere. Uh, there's one other interesting point to note, Arnold, and that is that the federal government has said, uh, if anybody hacks into this database, now this database is gonna have all sorts of sensitive information in it, including driver's license numbers, passport numbers, you know, how much people own. Uh, this is a really sensitive database. And the penalty for hacking into the database is five years in prison. But I have to ask the question, Arnold, when has a hacker ever been caught? I just see this database as being exposed to the world. Some bad guys, most likely, are going to get at this. So this, again, is a problem with this whole CTA compliance uh, system. I wanted to also ask, if something is not done properly, let's just say in a real estate syndication, who does the burden fall on? Can a LP uh, be liable uh, considering they're not the ones that, that are actively participating in the deal or would it fall under the general partner? Well, typically the, you have the LP structure and the general partner is responsible for everything that happens with the LP. Now, we don't want anyone to be a personal general partner because then you're personally liable for everything that happens within the LP. Uh, that's why most GPs are LLCs or corporations, primarily LLCs. Now, let's say that the limited partnership that owns the 100-unit building gets sued by a group of tenants. The general partners could be held liable. Let's say that they're negligent or they haven't kept up the property. The limited partners, though, by definition, are limited to what they put into the investment. So you put $10,000 into the 100-unit apartment syndication, your limit is $10,000. That's the most you can lose. Yep. Now, would you recommend for passive investors, and usually passive investors are going to put in anywhere from 50, 100,000, you know, and some people obviously put more. Some people could put up to millions of dollars. But let's say somebody is putting that minimum, 50 to $100,000. Is it worth it for them to open up a Wyoming LLC and invest through the Wyoming LLC into the syndication structure? Right. So here's the, here are the two issues. One is I like the asset protection of that Wyoming LLC. If you get sued in a car wreck and they want to get at your assets, if that 10% ownership interest in the limited partnership is in your individual name, uh, they can try and go for that. It depends on what state the limited partnership was set up in. But I like having that Wyoming LLC as a buffer against anyone even thinking about trying to go after that 10% LP interest that's in your individual name. I'd rather have it in the name of the Wyoming LLC. This statement I just made is complicated though by the CTA. You form the Wyoming LLC and now you have to report everything to the US Treasury Department. 
That said, you only have to do it once, right? The filing is just one time. If you're not going to be changing the LLC around, if you're not going to, if you're going to be the hundred percent owner and you're going to be the manager for a good long time, you file that form, that CTA form once and you're done. So in that case, I like having the Wyoming LLC for the asset protection. I see. I see. So you would recommend it for, for a limited partner as well to yep. open up by, and then invest what they're going to invest into the syndication through that. And real quick, Arnold, you only need one Wyoming LLC. So you could use the one Wyoming LLC for five syndications. Okay. Let me clarify a point on that. Now, by using that one Wyoming LLC to invest into five syndications, would that open somebody up to the liability of if something happens on one of the properties, it could potentially affect what they've invested in the other four properties? Well, and that's what we said. We don't want the limited partner to act as a general partner and become responsible. Uh, they need to stay in their lane and be a limited partner with limited liability. And this has happened before. There are cases where people are listed as a limited partner, but they've gotten involved in the management of the limited partnership. And actually, they've become a general partner. A court could say, look at these activities that you engaged in. You were acting as a general partner. We're going to hold you personally liable. So you want to stay limited if you're a limited partner. Sure. Now, in your book, Veil Not Fail, you know, you discuss how someone suing you, even, even if you have the LLC, can still pierce the corporate veil and come after your personal assets. How are they able to do that? And are there any precautions that, that somebody can take to prevent it? So we have... We set up LLCs because we want that veil of protection. You charter uh, the entity with the state. Part of the deal is you get limited liability protection. And if someone is suing the company uh, or you know the real estate investment and a, a tenant falls on the property and they sue the LLC trying to get at the assets and they can prove that the LLC didn't follow the corporate formalities. They, they didn't pay their fees to the state. They didn't have a registered agent. They didn't do the minutes every year. Uh, if they can prove that you didn't follow these corporate formalities, which apply to LLCs equally, they can pierce through the LLC and get at your personal assets. So protection of the corporate veil is very important. And that, that's why I wrote the book. It's interesting, Arnold, 50% of all veils are pierced. Of the cases that go to court, 50% of the time, people are not following the formalities. Yeah. Wow. I think the takeaway for me is you better have that checklist. <laughs> you better know what steps you need right. to follow and make sure you have a good attorney that knows what those items are, because it seems like even if you do all those steps, but you forget one of these things, whether it's the minutes or any other formality that you need to follow, it could all be in vain. Well, and the formalities are really easy to follow. You know, they're not too burdensome. I mean, you know, you need to pay for a registered agent. You need to pay the fees to the state. You need to have minutes. When you form an entity with Corporate Direct, we give you a book with templates for all the meeting minutes. So you can do them yourself. But, you know, it's like going to the dentist. No one wants to do it. So they we have a service where we'll do it for you. But it's important that you keep up on these minutes uh, because that's a key indicator 
for a court to pierce the corporate veil. I mean, how do you run a business without having a meeting at least once a year? And so it's really important. And if you haven't done the work, maybe you're five years behind, don't tell anyone, but we can clean it up for you. You know, it, it is possible to clean up your corporate minutes. Okay. Now, besides LLC formation and, and following those formalities, are there any other precautions or measures that an individual could or should take? Well, uh, I think it's important to have insurance. And that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I think you need to know that your LLC is either on the policy as the you know primary or listed as an additional insured. So we want to make sure that you have that insurance coverage in place because that's the first line of defense. The other thing is some of these people go way overboard on privacy. Like they say, you know, the the land trust. No one can ever find out who the owner of the land trust is. And I would argue that you want them to be able to find out where you are because you have to turn over that claim to the insurance company. So if you have all this privacy and no one can find you, they can go to the court and just advertise in the newspaper. You know, the name of the land trust is on title at the county. And so they they publish notice in the newspaper in that little two-point type that they're suing the land trust and no one can find you. But they publish notice in the newspaper. They go back to the court and say the land trust beneficiary didn't answer. And the court says you get a default judgment. That's not a good position to be in. You've lost the case. I'd rather have a registered agent uh, in place where someone who's suing the LLC can find the owner and the owner then can get that lawsuit to their insurance company. Because if if you come to the insurance company with a default judgment, they're going to say, I'm sorry, we don't have to cover this. You didn't give us notice in time. Makes sense. Uh, you know, speaking of insurance, the, I know insurance companies will charge you a higher premium if your property is in an LLC as opposed to a personal name, which uh, never made any sense to me on, on how the liability changes the risks are the same, right? But The risks are the same, whether <laughs> title's in your name or in the LLC, right? right? It's never made sense to me either, Arnold. But what you do is you say, okay, leave the policy in my individual name, but list my LLC as an additional insured. There was a case where uh, a client of ours, before she came to us, she had the insurance in her name. She transferred title to the LLC there was a fire on the property. The insurance company said, well, you know, we were insuring you, but title was in the LLC. We don't have to cover the claim. So you don't want that to happen to you. Sure, sure. Now, for the general partners out there, you know, if, when they form a Wyoming LLC, do they need to do any filings in their home state to be able to operate in their home state with the Wyoming LLC? Yes, it depends. If you're going to be, if you set up a Wyoming LLC, and you are actively managing property, say, in Missouri, that Wyoming LLC should qualify to do business in the state of Missouri. And, and we help people with that all the time. Right. Well, you dropped the bomb on me today. <laughs> the Corporate Transparency Act, that's still lingering in my head, too. I wanted to talk about asset protection and, you know, it transitions in that. I'm very glad you brought it up. So, is there any steps that you could recommend for, for people to start taking preemptively 
before January 1st. So this way they can operate effectively come the new year and not be surprised in the last second. You want your, whoever set up your entities or your registered agent, we're providing this service to be able to file these forms. And if you're, let's say you have a 25% owner who holds their interest through another LLC or another trust, the treasury department wants to know who is the ultimate individual behind this. So it's not enough to say a 25% owner of my LLC is another LLC. The the, uh, treasury department wants to know who owns that other LLC. So if you have a chain of uh, ownership like that, you're going to have to get to the bottom of it in order to file this form. Another interesting thing to know is that starting January 1st, if we set up the corporation, we have to assist in filing the uh, CTA forms. In other words, they're holding us responsible for making sure that you file the forms. So if you are going to set up a corporation with someone after January 1st, and they don't talk to you about filing these forms with the Treasury Department, you know you're working with someone who isn't up on the law because now the law requires that corporate direct, my corporate formation uh, company, has to assist in putting these CTA forms together. So here's my takeaways from, from our chat today. First and foremost, get ready for the Corporate Transparency Act in, in 2024. Contact uh, your, your legal team or our listeners can reach out to you and, and we'll have all your information published in our show notes and make sure you're ready to do business in 2024 with some of these new rules. We also discussed those simple steps, like you said in the beginning, those simple steps that people can take protect their assets in the beginning and and really looking at it as an insurance policy, just like you have health insurance or car insurance. It's an insurance policy for your personal assets. And if if you want to look into three states, we got Delaware, Nevada, Wyoming, out of those three, which you believe Wyoming to be the best because one, it's cheaper. I believe you said $62 versus 350 and also doesn't list your personal name. So to make sure you follow follow that process and as well as make sure you have a detailed checklist of those small formalities. So this way, nobody can pierce the veil. Would you say I summarized that pretty well? Did I miss anything? No, that was great, Arnold. You got, a, you got them all. Great. Great. Well, I loved our chat today. I love asset protection. I love real estate. So it was truly a pleasure. I want to jump into our closing questions. What is your number one rule for success in life and in business? The number one rule is to not worry about the money. If you provide a good service, the money will follow. All right. So, I mean, here we just, we try and offer the best service possible. And when you do that, people will reward you with money. So that's how I see it. If there was one piece of advice you can give to somebody to help them on their investing journey, what would it be? Start investing. You know, I waited a little too late. I didn't start investing until I was 40. I wish I'd started investing at 25. Also, just be aware of the paralysis of analysis. At some point, you've got to invest and you're going to make a mistake or two the first time out. Just know that everybody else does. Just get started. Yeah, the power of compounding. And Garrett, how can our listeners reach you? 
Well, our main website is corporatedirect.com. Uh, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. So you can contact us through corporatedirect.com. We're happy to get on the phone with you and let you know how we can help and what services we offer at what price points. We're open for new clients and we'd love to uh, deal with some of your listeners. Fantastic. Garrett, again, it was a pleasure having you on the show and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Winning in Real Estate listener, thank you for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share this podcast with somebody you think can benefit from it, and also don't forget to follow and subscribe. If you would like to become a better real estate investor, make sure to download the Passive Investor's Guide to Analyzing a Real Estate Syndication Deal. This comprehensive ebook equips investors with the tools to evaluate deals and avoid common mistakes gain insights, strategies, and practical advice to make better investment decisions. Download your copy today at investav.com forward slash ebook, or you can find the link in our show notes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action.